What's up, you guys? Welcome to NC Raw. Coming up in a few weeks, we're hitting the road. NC Raw and Res Hope are heading out to the Pacific Coast. We're going to be documenting the trip. My boy Caleb is going to be running and cycling the Pacific Coast. He was, this is a follow-up to his Trail of Tears run that he did last year. So uh, we're looking for some support. We're looking for some potential sponsorship. Uh, we can't do it without you guys. So if you're interested in helping us out, um, what we plan to do is do like a daily vlog documenting this thing through our YouTube channel and then like a weekly podcast where we're going to pop into local uh, recovery communities along the way and touch base with folks out there and share with you guys what's going on out there. So, um, yeah, if you guys want to support us, get a hold of Caleb McCoy on Facebook. If you're potentially interested in some sponsorship opportunities, you can also support us through our Patreon page. I feel like it's, it's like up in the air. I feel uh, tough like asking you guys to contribute through the Patreon page. It's not really something that I like push or promote real hard. Um, but we do have some some people who are supporting us who enjoy our work and, and we're grateful for for you guys. Um, but you can contribute to this trip through our Patreon page. Um, it's patreon.com slash NC raw. You can subscribe for like as little as a dollar a month. If you're enjoying the podcast, finding value in this type of work, we got a ton of shows coming up. We're leaving for the Pacific coast on like June 12th, if I'm not mistaken. However, like because school's out and I'm not working a whole lot, I've had a lot of people reach out to us. Um, we're going to bang out some podcasts. I have this episode right now, plus three others scheduled for this week, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday coming up. So be on the lookout for those. We're going to keep funneling content. Um, if you've reached out to me and I haven't booked you, uh, I have like kind of um, hit the brakes on booking a little bit just because we I booked through May and the first week of June and then we're going to be leaving on the second week of June so um, you can submit a little like request if there's somebody that you want us to talk to or if you want to come on and share your perspective on recovery um, there is a little submission form on our website at ncraw.life um, so yeah this podcast is something that I'm pretty stoked about. Uh, it wasn't really like something that was on my radar. I am currently today, Saturday, May 18th is my third day of peer support training. I'm doing the weekend training over at Sunrise. And so I've been kind of like sitting back the last couple Saturdays. Um, during our lunch break and just kind of like hanging out in the room over at sunrise and my dude Kevin Mahoney has been kind of doing the same thing so just as I was preparing to go to sleep last night because um, bro I listen I live like an hour and a half away from sunrise so this class starts at 8 a.m. my alarm clock goes off at 530 I need to be on the road by 6 30 at the absolute latest so last night around 10 o'clock as i was um settling in for the evening i was like well let me just throw this throw this out to the universe and see if mr kevin mahoney who is our peer support uh 
specialist trainer for this class if he'd be interested in like talking with me a little bit so that is what you i have in store for you today uh, we chatted for about a half an hour it's not like a traditional long podcast like we normally do um, but it's very informative kevin is an extremely knowledgeable man um, he has touched and inspired so many people in the recovery communities in western north carolina Dude is super passionate about peer support. Um, he does these trainings because like people couldn't sign up for like a Monday through t- Friday type gig. So he, he's started recently, the last couple of months, offering these trainings on the weekends where we gather on a Saturday. Um, I alluded on the podcast that like you know to to get the peer your peer support certification through the state, you have to take the 40 hour training class, but you also have to have 20 hours of continued education. And like, we're sitting in this class and Kevin's already offering like to come in on a follow up Saturday to provide some of those hours for us and kind of continue the training. Just the kind of duty is he loves his work. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to him. I can't wait to get him back on the podcast in a longer form conversation because I just want to pick this man's brain. I've enjoyed the class. I enjoyed the conversation. Give my dude, Kevin Mahoney, some love, y'all. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Dude, Kevin Mahoney. Hey. You are one of the most... You're a man that wears many hats. Just like the one I have on here? Yeah. (laughs) You, uh, You are like have played one of the most influential roles in both the peer support movement here in Western North Carolina, but I would also go as far as to say just the recovery movement. I talk to people every week, right, on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I bring different people on from Asheville, Western North Carolina, all over. Sure. Nine times out of 10, you have influenced their life either indirectly or directly. Your name comes up. I'd much rather have them tell that story than me. <laughs> they do. They do. Every week, man. Uh-huh. Every week, somebody has something to say about you. Always good stuff. 
Cool. Um, and so we're sitting here on our lunch break at at peer support training. You're mm-hmm. you're a peer support trainer, um, and so I figured why not sit down and have a little conversation with you. Awesome. And get to know you a little bit better. Um, I thought about that the invitation at nine o'clock at night. I'm going, hmm, do I want to do this? What what, <laughs> what are the motives behind uh, a nine ten o'clock <laughs> Facebook invitation? invitation? <laughs> yes, that was fine. Yeah. Um, so like, how did how, how did you get involved in peer support? Like, when did that come across your radar? Like, what what was that like? I was in Augusta, Georgia, which is the exact opposite culture-wise of Asheville. If I if I sound like a cultural snob, I am. Um, and I had friends that were my neighbors that deserted me down there and moved up here. Uh, in my misery down there, and I was in substantial recovery from complex PTSD, coming out of a military environment, shell shocked and uh, just really in a bad space. And through volunteerism, I got back on my feet. Somebody sent me an invitation saying, come live with me up here. And there's a job called peer support. And I'm, they were working for Easter Seals, which uh, Mental Health Association in Nashville, which turned into Easter Seals eventually, said there's a job as a peer support specialist and it's somebody with lived experience that goes out into the, into the field and talks to people and helps bring them back into the fold. And I said, I have no experience. I, she goes, well, you do it at daily. I said, you might not have experience, but you do. And in, in conjunction with that, I got an invitation from Four Circles Recovery, which is a really good outdoor program that a lot of people use as a jumping off point here in Asheville. They're, they're in the field now as clinicians. That's just how, you know, how long they've you know, been doing this. Um, so I had two jobs running. When I wasn't in the woods, I was in, I was in the grasslands of the projects and <clears throat> urban uh, environments as opposed and it was a completely opposite clientele it was a uh, instead of fairly well-off young people between 18 and 28 I was and then I'm working with the urban community that's not that's disenfranchised unsheltered and underprivileged um, so I was bouncing back and forth between these two jobs for a couple of years that's how I got started what and I like I found that I liked it I really enjoyed plus plus to be I was grateful to have both environments to work in because, again, it doesn't matter economically. People deserve recovery. It doesn't matter what you know branch that they're falling under. What What year was that? When did you get started? 2008. 2008. Here we are nine years later, right? You're Just, sitting at the head I, of the table. I can't believe I look back. I'm like, <laughs> where did this all go? You're sitting at the head of the table, table training future peer support specialists. How has the... How has the program, how has this type of training like evolved? Well, first it became formal. When I got on board, it was basically a handshake and we did some in-house trainings and it wasn't anything formal. And then it became a formal course. Like I was trained under Andrea Morris, who was, is a clinician with a lot of letters after her name. Again, she's my mentor. Uh, very few things that she hasn't done. And she, and she brought me formally into the fold. How um, did you play any type of role in like the development of the? I formal? did not. Uh, I I took her course. Uh, it was one of many that were being offered. The names that were bantered about. Andrea was huge. Christine Smith was the director of NAMI. She was co-teaching it. So they wrote their own course, and there wasn't a lot of certifying agencies back then. It, we were under Western Highlands, and the MCO wasn't in charge of the peer support training. It was you know it was just beginning to emerge as a modality. Um. I think we could take a step back for a second and because like so many of our guests, so many of the people that we talk to mm-hmm. are certified peer support specialists. Mm-hmm. 
And maybe we could just talk about like what that is. Like what is a peer support specialist? So now it's, it's an entrenched program. Uh, now it is under the jurisdiction of the various uh, MCO, LMEs, managed care organizations, uh, local management entities. There's only a, a handful of courses that are certified by the state dashboard by, by uh, UNC School of Social Work, which has administrative oversight, not punitive. And uh, everybody said they're course blessed. They all say the same things in different ways. It's, they're structured a little differently, but they all have to cover the same core materials. You got to cover peer ethics. You got to cover self-care boundaries, modalities, multiple pathways to recovery, uh, recovery tools. So today we're doing again recovery tools and pending. We're going to talk about how to run a support group and what support groups should look like and feel like. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of standardize it a little a little more. I'm super grateful that you started doing these Saturday course trainings. Mm -hmm. I've been like doing peer support like you did in the early days, very informally mm -hmm. on the college campuses and in our little community. Uh, but I was never available to take the week long training. You know, I was a full time student, sure. I worked a part time job. Mm -hmm. It was just very difficult to to not block off a week mm -hmm. to get certified. And now I'm a nine to five guy and, yeah. and I've got a lane to stay in and I, I can't do the 40 hours anymore for to take a whole week off. Mm -hmm. But I just thought I saw a niche there and I just wanted to make sure that this was available if somebody need, wanted or needed to do it. And my newest idea, again, I just came up with it yesterday. Um, friend of mine named Faith Ryan says, why don't you, we're trying to f figure out a way to fund it. So at the lowest possible cost, I said, well, maybe we'd get sponsors. And somebody could sponsor a book for somebody, buy a book, which is 25 bucks. And there might be, there'll be a fee for materials and stuff, but we're gonna be offering, the, I, I'm fairly sure it's the lowest price in the entire state, it's 25 bucks. It's definitely the lowest Even price 30. Say, yeah. Via has 30, and that they've got a great curriculum too and great teachers, but again, we'll be on weekends and maybe do it every couple of months or so. So if somebody is interested in sponsoring, I'd how say can they get in touch with you? They can PM me on, on Facebook. It's probably okay. the best way. Uh, I'm going to come up with something formal. Maybe we'll do a GoFundMe and, and get a pool together. I'll have to figure it out this week. Okay. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, You're a man of service, dude. <laughs> like you're you're doing this training to us right now, and a part of completing the training is that you have to get 20 hours Extra. of continued education courses, and you're already like it's in our class. That too. Yeah. You're figuring that part out and inviting us back to get those classes mm -hmm. and continue in that education. Um, and it gives me a chance to polish the course up and, yeah. and work on my presentation and work on some you know subject matter bells and whistles we can add to it. It's fun. This all oh, this is so much fun. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You shouldn't have this much fun. <laughs> <laughs> How has the um, the work in the community involved, like the jobs and what's available out there over the years? Because we're, we're certifying a number and of folks. Oh my goodness! Uh, I just want to make sure we have enough jobs for everybody that wants to do this. That's kind of where I was going with that. Is there any concern that like is the is the evolution of the expansion of jobs? I don't know if we're outpacing ourselves, and that worries me. Uh, Buncombe is peer rich as opposed to Yancey, which is not. Mm -hmm. uh, Catawba, some of our outlying counties, counties they, I wish we could move people around and do some more outreach because um, we're so rich in, with resources here, but not so much other places, even in the West. But many of these other, of these like larger scale agencies, like your current role, 
now have begun to kind of identify the need or the demand for peer roles. Right. I'm glad they've done that because uh, also the pay is, is becoming more consummate with what people should be doing and getting. Um, I, I think when I started off, it was at $9 an hour, which is not sustainable. <laughs> yeah. And uh, people were considered, again, there's more admin stuff. It's, oh, let the peer go do this. Uh, peers can do that. They can they can pick somebody up. They're the taxi drivers. And it's really moved far away from that. Uh, people recognize us as the resource that we are, that we can go places that clinicians and doctors can't or go with. You can have relationships that they can't have. It's, it's, it's gotten a lot more a lot more attention on, on relationships and how to build those relationships, what it looks like, how much freedom of interaction I have with somebody, how much I can share my story with, uh, where we can go. So again, it's broadening. And also the, the scope of the job too, it's branched out into forensics, it's branched out into, I'd like to see more jail work and peers going in, maybe certifying somebody in jail or in prison and then coming out ready to hit the street, ready to go. The data shows the impacts mm -hmm. that peer supports are making. What what are the barriers? What's preventing agencies like local sheriff's offices and law I enforcement? I just think it's so traditional institution, institutional thinking. People just haven't evolved too far out of the box yet. But with a gentle conversation that keeps pushing the envelope saying, we can do this, we can go there. Let me show you how we go there. And let me show you how it's going to save you money, ultimately, by keeping somebody out of the system, the health system or the jail system. Mm -hmm. And it just takes like one agency to put themselves out just there to flip and then it. others will and it's, follow it's happening. Yeah. I can remember like, you know, early on in my process of recovery, um, I was kind of, I was resistant to like traditional 12 step models. Mm -hmm. I was res resistant to walking into the rooms and even some of the, the belief systems mm -hmm. behind that. And what really impacted me the most was uh, my mentor the person who kind of introduced me to spiritual practice mm -hmm. and meditation, hearing him talk and him sharing his story and some of the teachings that he gave, mm -hmm. the difference was that here's somebody that looks like me, that talks like me, right. that has a similar story to me that I, that I can personally relate to, mm -hmm. um, that really like opened my perspective to the potential uh -huh. of recovery and what that would look like in my life mm -hmm. but then he empowered me to kind of create my your own model. pathway my model to recover that's the way it should work and it's so like i think that's what like when i go out and i do speaking engagements and i talk to students on campus or uh -huh. um, clients at the crisis stabilization unit at Boston. That's the that's the angle that i try to take is that like i'm just like you talk about the levels Right. Mm -hmm. Being like peer to peer uh, is more of a, of a personal relationship. And I try to approach it as like, hey, dude, I'm just like one of you guys. Yep. Like I was at the Boston. I was, yeah. at, I was at the Boston Center on Thursday. Uh -huh. And at the end of the talk, they were like, hey, do you want a set of these blue scrubs over here? <laughs> you know, and uh -huh. we were just like hanging out and it was just a, an awesome experience. You know, I think that's uh, those are the types of impacts that y'all are making in the community. Well, and and looking at the whole picture of and some folks that are sitting at this table met somebody that came to see them when they were in a not-so-good place. And they remembered, oh, I remember when Sam visited me there, and it resonated, and it stuck in my mind that maybe I could do this, and using her as a role model. Um, I mean, I've had my own role models. Some, some are clinical, some are peers, some are doctors. So I'm, I'm going to take my knowledge wherever I can get it. Yeah. 
You're all about learning. Uh-huh. I can tell. This should not be a day that goes by that you do not learn something about this profession. That was the major shift in my process of recovery is when I made that commitment. Now I'm like glued to podcasts. I'm constantly mm-hmm. reading books. I remember you saying that. And yeah. outside of the scope of recovery, like it doesn't have to be recovery related. Like I'm looking at stuff that's like, you know, sociology and human behavior and stuff like that. It all like ties just, in. Yeah, it all ties in together. Mm-hmm. And how can I like, how can I piece this puzzle together mm-hmm. and then kind of share that? Again, share that my, with others? my practice has shifted significantly in this last year. The things I've learned about resiliency, um, resources for resiliency type models and resetting nervous systems and ACEs, adverse childhood experiences surveys as and trauma-informed care. It's, it's turned 180 degrees, offering me other pathways to communication with folks and, and actual physical tools to help people that you know the peers can practice every day. You touched on resiliency in class today and I know you were at the resiliency training yesterday. Mm-hmm. Some of my peers were there as well and I was going to share in the group, but we kind of moved along. Mm -hmm. One of the things early on in my recovery and even like at the end of my active addiction, um, I always resiliency was something that was on my mind. Mm -hmm. However, I had a misconception of of what it was. Mm -hmm. I looked at think it was I looked at my family dynamics. Right. And my myself and my younger sister both went down the path of substance use. Mm -hmm. However, my brother did not. My brother went down the path of academia and family, mm-hmm. starting a family and getting married and doing those things. So at the oh, end, one of, of those guys, one of those guys, <laughs> <laughs> he's working on his PhD right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, when at the end of my active addiction, resiliency was on my mind. However, I thought it was a characteristic that you either had or you didn't mm-hmm. have. I didn't understand that it was a Required skill, skill. Yeah. that you could evolve mm-hmm. and continue to work on and grow. And now that I've come into recovery and I've learned the skill of resiliency, mm-hmm. my perspective on it has changed. So like, what, cool. did, what, is, what did you guys learn about resiliency and how do you like apply it in this type of environment, in this peer role? Just the number of hands-on skills that, and practices that we can share with people. There's, you, you, you learn sensations, insensing, uh, it used to be called tracking, and now it's called insensing, what your, what your body is feeling, how does it feel, We're using sensation words to describe it, uh, not attaching meaning to it, saying this isn't bad or good, what's it feel like? And then, and then seeing how that could be maybe traced back to trauma inherent in the body, and then things that can be uh, attended to, to lessen that and to let it out. Because it's not going to let it go away by itself. It's it's like a scar, uh, and until somebody loosens it up and lets it go somewhere, acknowledges it, it's like that trauma is part of me, and it probably doesn't want to be hated any more than anything else does. It's like so I'm at war with my own body when I have trauma inherent that I that I'm not paying attention to. And then through doing that, yeah, the tracking, the resourcing, grounding exercises, shifting and staying, um, and the other part is I've learned that ACEs, the adverse child experience experience. It's not destiny, but it is something to keep an eye on. I may have a predisposition to cancer and heart disease because of my ACEs score. Or, and, the, and it also helps with the persons that I'm helping. What happened to you, not what's wrong with you? Yeah, and then also kind of like normalizing those experiences because of the setting. Like... And just acknowledging that they happened to someone and that the, in a compassionate spirit. Like, I hear what happened to you, and it sucks. I'm with you. Um, let me walk with you. Yeah, I've been through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or, or like it. Or it's, Similar. Mm-hmm. 
yeah the trauma piece was something that also was kind of like foreign to me i think we were talking outside the other day in going through these inventories of my fellowship of my program mm -hmm. something that i do annually so every year i mm -hmm. revisit my the inventories and reflecting back on my my aces score mm -hmm. it was low mm -hmm. it wasn't significantly high like like you know many others that we talked uh -huh. to and over four is considered if you got yeah, over four it, you, yeah. you just 20 years of your life in danger maybe yeah. um but so here i am a 37 year old man today and looking back at some of these early childhood traumatic experiences mm -hmm. my mind kind of tends to like justify the experience like okay whatever that was that i went through it wasn't it's not that big of a deal mm -hmm. to me now as a 37 year old man right but as a five-year-old kid it was severely impactful mm -hmm. huge i didn't know how to cope with you know witnessing this horrific event that happened to me when i was in kindergarten mm -hmm. i didn't possess the skills to do so but now i'm sort of like desensitized to that because it's something that you see on the media every day or on uh -huh. social media every day so like it wasn't until i began to look at it from that perspective and look at it from put myself back in the five-year-old steve's shoes sure. did i realize the impacts that it had on my long-term life you know yeah i'm not glib about it I, I look back and go wow it's, i mean resiliency is how you responded to the incident not somebody else and again the same things that i went through i've seen it people have not recovered from it yet and i'm I feel blessed, fortunate to be moving on with stuff. Yeah, what's been the most uh, <clears throat> what's been the most impactful part of this peer support journey in your life? I was visiting a home the other day that I had not been in a while. When I was working on a sort of community treatment team, I would visit a lot of the care homes regularly and get to know everybody. At some point, I'd be there daily or you know a couple times a week, and you see people. People see you. Uh, people move in and out of those environments. And I visited one, I hadn't been there in a long time, uh, last Tuesday, and then I kind of walked in, I saw some of the same faces. They remembered me. I, my memory's not so good, but I was like, hey, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a while. Uh, and we were just sitting around, and I was getting some information. I had to release some information to obtain. And of all the folks that were sitting there, they were. it was just, I felt like I was home in, in some strange way. I said, this is where I belong. And I relayed that to my clinical friends uh, where I'm working at now. I said, I just felt like I was back in an environment that I belong in and I'm super comfortable in. Again, the folks with my, my peeps, yeah. and the folks with, with mental health issues and substance use issues and stuff, just sitting around. Yeah. <clears throat> Oddly peaceful. I just can't describe it. <laughs> and I was sitting there for about 10 minutes. Old home week. Well, that's the difference today. You can recognize it. Mm -hmm. um, what... One of the things that I'd like to talk about, because I've seen, I've seen friends and colleagues kind of fall into it, is the balance between the peer support work and your personal recovery. And, you know, being able to kind of juggle that and balance that out in a way that both facilitates a healthy lifestyle, mm -hmm. allows your recovery to prosper, and then that kind of bleed over into the work that you're doing, but not letting them become too enmeshed with each other. I have to be careful I, on a regular <laughs> basis. I, I still get near, precariously near the edge sometimes. Yeah. 
but <laughs> I, I'm better now with a nine to five pace of life and my phone gets put on the shelf on Friday mm -hmm. and my email gets put on the shelf until Monday. How do you convey that though to other peers when you're teaching these classes I, and when you're... I just try to drop hints and actually, or just come out and say it. And the people I work with, they say, look, I, to be able to help you, I need to help myself. Yeah. So I will not be available on the weekends, probably pretty much 99%. And I don't even leave that 1% anymore because that's a door, little crack <laughs> in the door. It's really so I back. really just put it down. I said, it'll be there on Monday. It's, it's, we'll, we'll figure it out. It's really like going back to the basics yeah. and keeping those basic Always. boundaries. Yeah, I have to constantly refresh myself. Yeah, I've seen people get taken down from but it, man. Boundaries and self-care will, will hurt somebody in this profession regularly. Yeah. Content, they will experience, you know, burnout, compassion fatigue, or what my friend Francis calls contempathy. After a while, it's the things that you loved are now the things that you don't love and don't want, and it's just hard to do. Yeah. This is hard enough job as it is to, to, to <laughs> force yourself to get up and go do it. It would be excruciating. Yeah. What's it like working alongside doctors and clinicians and that type of environment? It, I, integrated care is, is, is the way we're going. So I feel that we're on that wave of the future that everybody will be getting this at some point in time. And we're just on the, in the vanguard of it right now. And I mean, building things. I, I don't know what this job is going to look like a year from now because we're, we're putting things into place as we speak, which is super exciting because that gives me my, my learning curve is steep. Yeah. And again, the people I work with are just awesome anyway. They're, they're receptive to this. They see the value in it. So it's just nice being in a progressive environment. Yeah. What about your personal life, man? What's, how what? You, how, what about your personal what's, life, What's man? a personal life? How do, you, how do you take care of yourself? <laughs> I... Uh, Engage with my cat frequently. Uh, we have many dialogues and communication. Um, I have a, my apartment space is my sanctuary. Uh, it's super quiet, and for someone with my issues, that quiet is important. Um, always, again, always podcasting or learning or TED talking or reading when I'm not at work. Uh, and again, it just is a it's a happy coincidence that I really like what I do. So my learning curve. You know, I, I read off duty. It's about about work stuff, but it's enjoyable to me. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's on my radar that I haven't necessarily been able to wrap my head around, but something that I'm processing constantly is, you know, we talk about the the need for this human connection. That's the value in this mm -hmm. peer support and the value in the process of recovery. And with the evolution of technology, like you just mentioned a bunch of tools that can be used in a healthy way, uh -huh. right? With the evolution of this technology, my focus is on like blending peer support mm -hmm. with education on how to use these tools sure. to facilitate that connection especially in these rural communities like where i come from absolutely where we don't have such a strong uh face-to-face -face mm -hmm. type of communities you've heard it for the last couple of weeks from I the know. crew in here uh, we don't have a sunrise to come down to right so like how can we educate our communities and teach people to use these technological tools mm -hmm. to foster that type of connection and right like you go online and there's a lot of banter, right? Yeah. Especially in this political world that we live in. Mm -hmm. But there are communities that are doing it. 
Uh, well, again, my challenge to this class, their, their so-called project, let I me mean, not official, was to take something back to your community that you can do with zero money involved and maybe using technology that we can, you know, bring something to Jackson County, bring something to the, you know, to other counties in the West that from folks that are here. Yeah. Macon has no wrong door, so there's a nonprofit that's already there. Work with that, expand on that. Yeah. So plant, plant seeds. What can you do in your community? Like, there's a lot of focus on what we don't have. And like, I, think I mean, if you have a laptop, an empty room, and some bandwidth, you can do a lot. Yeah. You can bring TED Talks on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. You can start meeting with five people. You can talk about, have your own resiliency classes. You can teach things. Uh, again, my, one of my dream jobs is to put residents and clinicians in a van, put a sign on the side of it, and take off to the, to the hinterlands. When, set up set up shop in some parking lot when's that happening <laughs> i'll give it a couple of weeks a couple of weeks as soon as i get my other projects out of the, Dude, online you're a, you're a man with projects <laughs> where do you see this uh peer support thing going down the road i see it going into a lot of places i mentioned prisons and jail as the next maybe layer of horizons and after we settle with that i'd just like to see us spread out more horizontally in the system uh Again, and not make it, it's not a band-aid for everything. It is a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. Because it can be applied in a variety of things. And there are places I still want to explore. I don't know yet. I just, you know, see what tomorrow comes up. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I appreciate your time. Awesome. Thank you. Let's grab some lunch, dude. Please. Thanks. All right. And let's do let's do this uh let's do a let's do a, do a, a check real in. show a real sit down I'd be more than long glad. form kind of thing. Maybe I'll come over here and we can use one of these offices. Okay. And just do it here. Works for me. Cool. Thanks, brother. Yeah, man. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And a very special thank you to both Kevin Mahoney and Sunrise Recovery Community for providing this awesome training and for Kevin to sit down on his lunch break and have this conversation with me. Uh, he's a badass. I know that you guys already know that. So thanks again. Y'all take care.